And welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. We are here. If I sound a little bit different, we're using a different microphone. The microphone I've been using for quite a while now crapped out on me. Gave me an awful electronic whirring sound that kind of sounded like I had the microphone next to a refrigerator running. And that was pretty bad. So we're on the old mic that I had been using for quite a while. And then the legs broke on it. So we jerry-rigged a little bit of a setup here so the microphone can stand on its own. Today's show... We're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about the NHL playoffs, a little bit about the NBA playoffs, touch base on the Barry Trot situation on Long Island, a whole bunch of stuff. But before we get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Number one, please, please, please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, the damn Amazon podcast service. Wherever you like to get your podcast, this show is available there. Number two, if you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave the show a review. If you could be so kind, on Apple Podcasts, once you've hit subscribe, you're going to scroll past the most recent five or six episodes. There's going to be five clear purple stars on the bottom underneath that is a button that says write a review in purple letters. Hit the star furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. If you could be so kind to go down, hit that write a review, leave a few words. Leave reviews, folks. It takes two seconds, a couple sentences. That stuff helps a lot. It's nice to see. Good to know I'm not just talking into the void every now and then. Reviews are nice. Anybody's content you enjoy engage with it so they can, you know, have nice engagement numbers to show advertisers, employers, their friends to brag about how much of a niche internet celebrity they are. Whatever it is, it helps us out a lot when you leave reviews, when you share things, when you retweet things. So just a few words of thought there. Okay. I was going to do the Barry Trotz thing on this side, but we'll do the we'll do the drop. We'll we'll, we'll get to it. I'll see you guys in one sec. Okay, and with that, we will get on into today's show. First thing I want to touch base on is Barry Trotz, because I didn't talk about it on yesterday's show, because I want to take some time, read what news was available, listen to 32 Thoughts, try and gather the best perspective a civilian who is not tapped Lou Lamarillo's phone would have on the entire situation. I've talked to a few of my Islander fan friends to try and gauge the temperature, and it seems like there's a very clear divide here amongst the people who think Lou has absolutely lost his mind and the people who trust Lou no matter what. The older heads trust Lou no matter what. They still think of Lou as the guy who won those cups with the Devils all those years ago, whereas the younger Islander fans were very content with the last three years, with going to the two conference finals, going to the first round, going to the second round the year before they went to the first conference final in 2019. But to just fire trots without a real reason that you you feel comfortable telling the public, it kind of seems like a power vacuum type situation that arose that maybe Trotz had voiced some interest in some GM type things, maybe more of a say in personnel, maybe talk to the owners about something, and to prevent the coup, Lou fired him? 
I mean, that's possible. The working theory I've heard from a few people in hockey media on various podcasts and in things I've read is that they were set on going with Barry again for next year. They did exit interviews with the players last week after the regular season was over, and more than one player in those exit interviews mentioned that there was a problem with Barry, that they needed a new voice, that things had gotten stale, that they're not a big fan of the system. That was Elliot Friedman's perspective. I've heard some ridiculous conspiracy theories. One of my Islander fan friends, one of my Islander fan friends told me a hysterical one that one of his friends heard from somebody, heard from somebody, you know how fans with sources are, that Barzell was fooling around with Noah Dobson's girlfriend And that's how everybody on the team got COVID because Barzal gave it to everybody because he got it from the girl who who got it from Noah Dobson's girlfriend and Barzal gave it to everyone on the team. And that's what derailed the Islander season back in the fall. And that's what Barry was pissed about with with Barzal. And there's a a Barry or Barzal duality that Lou needed to pick and he picked to stay with Barzal. Believe what you want. We'll probably never know the exact reason because Lou will never tell and no one in hockey media has balls enough to press Lou on it. So he's going to get to get away with unjustly firing Barry Trotz. I know Lou has done this kind of shit before. He's fired coaches as the GM and just taken over as the head coach of a good team and coached the team the rest of the season. No idea where the Islanders go from here. Um, Trotz is one of the best coaches in the entire sport. He do, He absolutely is one of the five, six best coaches in the entire sport. I would take Barry Trotz in a heartbeat. I would have fired Gerard Gallant after game four and hired Barry Trotz Thursday, uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, and had Barry at the garden running practice Tuesday morning so the Rangers could get ready for game five on Wednesday. But unfortunately, this is not college football where something like that would happen, so I have to sit here and sigh. Trotz is going to be in demand. If he wants to coach, he'll have his pick. The early favorite is Winnipeg because he's from Manitoba. The Jets need a coach. I've heard the Devils, too. If they were actually willing to pull fire Lindy Ruff, they could do that, too. But I don't see that. I, I think Winnipeg would make sense. Vegas, possibly, if they decide to move on from Pete DeBoer, is also a real possibility. But I digress on that. Uh I don't know what Lou's doing. The Islanders don't have a ton of moves to make their roster better right away. They have a pick. They, I think they're 10th overall in the lottery, something like that. They could turn that into an asset. They don't have a ton of cap space. They're going to need to get a little bit inventive, retooling their roster going forward. But they've got some decent pieces who are on the younger side, like Pelik and Pulak, Barzal, obviously, Sorokin, who's been very good, Noah Dobson, who is very good. Islanders have pieces. Brock Nelson had a career year this year at age, I think, 31, 30, something like that. So the bones of a good team are there. The problem is the Islanders spent way too much money on the pieces around that core. So they're going to have to get creative going forward. Lou will do something reckless, and all of the hockey men in the media will be like, well, that's Lou for you, like he's a cartoon character saying his catchphrase at the end of an episode type deal. It's whatever. Okay, now to actually talk about on the ice. I did not know the Toronto Maple Leafs had that in them, okay? I was so, so impressed with the Leafs' resilience in that game. They go down one nothing in that first period. Okay, one nothing. that's doable. We can manage that. 2 nothing. 
that arena, Scotiabank Arena, is dead silent. It sounds like a morgue. Everybody's looking around like the oh no, here we go again type deal that Red Sox fans knew forever, that Cubs fans knew forever. That is the kind of shit that leaves you scarred as a fan, that makes you so frustrated that it's a traumatic experience. It is difficult to deal with. And the Leafs, they showed up. I wrote down here in my notebook, because I'm a good journalist during the playoffs, I like to keep a running log of my thoughts during games, and yes, I have it divided out into all four of the playoff games that are on tonight. And I wrote down, Campbell save on power play, 9-10 to go. The Lightning had a power play there, and I believe it was Kucherov from the right circle rips a slapper and Campbell goes post to post makes the save the Leafs kill off that penalty and they stay in the game it would have been very easy for it to get out of hand there be three nothing and let it snowball away like game four did down in Tampa but these Leafs they hung around they hung around and for me The best player on the ice tonight for the Leafs was William Nylander, who is a very maligned figure amongst the old hockey heads because he has some semblance of a personality. He plays a dynamic game that doesn't always translate well to the postseason. But tonight, Nylander was everywhere in that offensive zone. He was getting every loose puck. He was charging the net directly there was that one play he made where he drove the net went across the net mouth knew that foot was about to lay him out and he still stayed on the puck trying to beat Vasilevsky who was great in his own right I know I mentioned before that Jack Campbell was really good but in that third period when it was tied at um three to three Vasilevsky made a couple saves to keep it at three to three but I was very impressed with Tampa's ability to just have that zombie-like presence where no matter what you do, you can't kill them. Toronto made a great push. They got the lead back at 3-2. to two. They t- Tampa ties the game at 3-all. Tampa ties the game at 3-all because the Nylander line, no, excuse me, the Matthews and Marner line got caught out below the goal line one too many times in their own zone. They couldn't clear the zone. They got stuck in their own zone, and a puck trickled out in front. Ryan McDonough skates into it, rips a bomb past Campbell, high glove side, and right there, every single Leafs fan again does the, oh no, here we fucking go again. But this time... Wiley Coyote, he didn't run into the brick wall with the painted tunnel on it. This time, Wiley Coyote actually caught the Roadrunner. The Leafs go on and win that game. Austin Matthews scores the game winner. Him and Marner create that play off a two-on-one where Marner takes the shot off of the pads of Vasilevsky, trying to create a, a controlled rebound so Matthews would have more or less an easy opportunity to score. And I was so, so happy. I make no bones about it. I picked the Leafs to win this series. I believe in the program the Leafs have built. They are building what you... They are the model of sustainability for the long term. In the regular season, that is the type of roster you need. And I know I say this every single year in the playoffs. I've been doing this podcast for the better part of two years now. This is the second NHL playoffs I've done the podcast through. I've been saying this since I was in high school. The hockey playoffs are so much about luck, man. All you need is the one bounce. One bounce goes wrong or right, and that changes 
everything. If that puck squirts an extra foot outside of Austin Matthews' reach off of Vasilevsky's pads, those two teams could still be playing right now. It could still be 3-3. They could be in the second overtime. That's the kind of thing that you have to realize that it takes good luck. Now, there are ways to get good luck. You can have good positioning. You have the conditioning to last longer in these type of games, to keep pressing. And there are moments when you realize hey, maybe this group can do something. And every single one of my Leafs fan friends, ones who've been on this podcast, like Liz, like Dave, like Maeve, they all said the same exact thing. Even Forbes, who I was talk to, talking with, who Forbes and Maeve are on the Pick a Team podcast, I was talking with both of them a little bit during the day. And just uh, there's a little bit of difference. And all the Leafs fans, I, friends I have are, I don't want to get my hopes up, but... They still got to close it out, of course. They still have to win one more game. They got two tries to win one game. And God help the Leafs if they play another Game 7 at Scotiabank. God help the Leafs if they play another Game 7. For Tampa, I was very impressed with the Brandon Hagel line. Him, Nick Paul, they were everywhere. When the Lightning needed a good shift to kind of take the pressure off of their defense, those guys are sending it below the goal line, going to work, winning those loose pucks. That's the kind of line you need to be your third line in today's NHL. And they were outstanding in this game. Uh, Stamkos, again, uh, Stamkos at this point could have very easily started phoning it in just to collect the paychecks, and he's very much still buzzing out there. He's got a goal in two straight. He was very good tonight. I will say the one defenseman I wasn't worried about in regards to Tampa who has not been great in this series is Mikhail Sergachev. He's been caught on in-between bounces a lot in the neutral zone where guys have gotten around him with speed. He's lost a lot of those pucks below his own goal line that have led to sustained offensive forecheck time for Tampa, excuse for Toronto. And he just doesn't look as confident on the puck. And that's something that you can only see by watching. I, I, there's no fancy stat to show puck confidence. But when a guy is comfortable in his decision-making, they'll hold the puck an extra beat. They'll look for somebody to get open. They will try and make a play. If you're panicked, you're trying not to make a mistake. That's when you start making mistakes as a defenseman. And that is how a series snowballs you on you. When you have one guy who makes a mistake and then he's pressing to not make a mistake, he starts playing tight, starts making the simple play as opposed to making the right play, that's when you end up in trouble as a hockey team because as that starts to trickle through your lineup, you have guys trying not to make a mistake and they're nervous trying to not make a mistake. That's when mistakes happen. When you're not as mentally sharp because you're trying to not make a mistake, that's when you run into trouble. You see it a lot from defensemen with pucks behind their own net where they just reverse sides instead of trying to look up, evaluate what's around them. Instead of doing that, they're reversing the direction. They're going to the opposite side behind their net to their partner. Their partner doesn't have a play either, so their partner's just going to send it back to them, and then the other team's forecheck can start circling up. They start pinching up more and more, 
and it makes your breakout so difficult when the other team can start to anticipate which direction it's coming from. And that's what happens to a lot of these teams when they get behind in these games. And that's what's so commendable about the Leafs' comeback win was that the Lightning very easily could have put the Anaconda Vice on and just started chipping away 40 seconds at a time for the better part of two periods, just going below the goal line, winning those loose pucks. But the Leafs engaged their forecheck, they made the lightning work for zone exits, and I'll be honest with you, Tampa was a little bit sloppy in this game. A lot of those Leafs' chances happen off the rush or sustained forechecks that only happened because defensemen made mistakes. In the last two playoffs, Tampa didn't make mistakes, and that's the thing. It takes breaks going your way to win a Stanley Cup. To win two in a row... You need all-time great historic luck. Yes, Tampa was the most talented team each of the last two seasons. The most talented team doesn't always win, though. And it's important to keep... Ooh, and there's another scrum in the Kings-Oilers game. Yeah, this series is kind of getting embarrassing. These officials have done nothing to keep the game under control. But last point on that, on Tampa. They, they were fine. They weren't great tonight. A lot of mistakes. Hedman was good. Victor Hedman looks very much like old Victor Hedman again, which is good to see as just a, somebody who enjoys the sport being played at a high level. Victor Hedman, when he's playing at a high level, one of the best I've ever seen do it. So winning 4-3 to three sets up a climactic Game 6 down in Tampa. You're going to have to squint at your TV and keep reminding yourself the Leafs are in white, Lightning are in blue on Thursday, and that's fine. I'm very much looking forward to that. I want to see the Leafs do this. No disrespect to the Lightning. All-time great team the last two years. They've magical, magical run. John Cooper, very clearly one of the five or six coaches that definitely matters. I just want someone else to get a turn, man. Shelby, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Shelby was on the podcast, I think back in February, uh, early February, to talk about the Lightning, how they were setting up for a third straight cup run, and that was the goal. But the Lightning fans at this point understand that they won two in a row and that other teams should get to have a turn. So the other early game on Tuesday was the Bruins and the Hurricanes. In fact, that game started before the Lightning and the Leafs game, but... That game got out of hand very quickly, and I said this a lot. I said this going into the weekend when Bruins played on Friday of last week and they were down 2 nothing. It kind of felt like they were on the brink. Carolina had very much so dominated play at 5-on-5. Five five. They'd scored when they'd had power plays in Game 1 and 2 down in Carolina. But Boston, they persevered. They put the perfection line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn back together. They scored enough. The defense was just good enough. On Sunday, they survived without Lindholm or um, Charlie McAvoy, which was commendable. McAvoy was back for this game, which ESPN had to remind us of every eight seconds that McAvoy had just gotten out of COVID protocol and that the the Jacobs family that owns the Bruins put him on a private jet to Carolina because he cleared the protocol Monday, Tuesday afternoon. So they wanted to get him there. Boston, Boston just doesn't have the depth, man. They're a one and a half line team at, with two good defensemen, and one of those good defensemen isn't playing, and the other one is getting over COVID. So he's probably not a hundred percent either. 
So let's talk about it from just uh, the Bruins have one great line. They've got Taylor Hall. They've got Eric Howla. They've got Craig Smith. They've got Charlie Coyle. They've got Jake DeBrusque. All those guys are fine aside from the top three. And Taylor Hall, I would say, is more than fine. He's just he's good. Taylor Hall's not great anymore. He's good. He he can still create some things in transition, but he can't make offense for himself like he used to when he was younger, when he was one of the fastest straight-line skaters in the league. And the Bruins just don't have the horses for this. I mean, Carolina, they roll four lines. They've got three pairs. Carolina is a buzzsaw of a hockey team. When Carolina gets their forecheck going, you are fucked. Because remember what I was saying before about when you start playing sloppy and trying to avoid mistakes? That was what the Bruins were trying to do because they got down so early. And the Oilers just scored. Ooh, McDavid just made... <laughs> Zach Cassian's funny. They really let Zach Cassian score. I know Connor made that happen, but going back to what I was saying. The Bruins were trying to not get boat raced. They were trying to just hang around in that game. And the mistakes below the goal line, again, recurring theme here. And Carolina's forecheck was outstanding. The Bruins were not able to get from defense to offense. They were not able to gain the offensive zone with speed. Carolina was making Boston work for everything. And that is the sign of a team that's got the game under control. When you're able to do whatever you want offensively, and then the other team is having to work for any real offense... That's the sign of a team in control. Boston had so many shots from the high point blocked on the way in that never got to the net mouth. They are so, so tired. That was all I kept thinking about in that game as I was watching Carolina twist the knife deeper and deeper. It was just every single loose puck, it felt like Carolina won. Every single time it felt like the Bruins might be able to get to the net and create something dangerous, a Carolina defenseman stepped up, got them out of the way. I mean, the first goal Carolina scores, and it's weird because the first 10 minutes or so, I thought Carolina was playing really well. Uh, Excuse me, Boston was playing really well. I mean, I wrote down in my notes, up and down, early tempo, Boston pressure early, four check, and then Jacob Slavin scores that first goal. They catch Swayman a little out of position. It's a weird angle. It beats him to the far side. And from there, then once Carolina has a lead, that's when the good defensive teams kill you is when they have a lead because they will just dump the puck on you over and over again. They're not going to give you the zone easy. They're going to make you dump the puck and go get it, and that's going to bleed 40 seconds at a time. And you're going to start making mistakes because there's less room to work because they're so aggressively forechecking. And then you start snowballing. You lose loose pucks that trickle out into dangerous areas. You give the other team second chance scoring opportunities because they're getting the loose pucks faster than you. That's how you get boat raced in a playoff series. It's the exact same thing that happened to the Rangers against Pittsburgh on Monday night. The same thing happened to Boston. Boston, I don't think, won a single 50-50 puck the entire game. I really does. It do, anecdotally, it does not seem like the Bruins won a single loose puck that entire game. Boston, too many penalties. Uh, Mac Rizlik took three on his own. Then D'Angelo scores the power play goal, and that goes two and zero. Oh. And the last thing 
Last thing I want to touch on in Carolina-Boston before we start talking about the late games, which are still in progress, so obviously not going to be able to go in as detail as I would normally, but kitchen sink type game from the Bruins on Thursday is what I would expect. First, I think they probably break up, they probably put Marshawn, Posternock, and Bergeron back together again. They go to Taylor Hall, Eric Howla, and DeBrusque. It's the second line. They got to find a way to withstand that first Carolina push. And I know that's asking a lot. The Hurricanes were the best team in the Metropolitan Division during the regular season. One of the best teams in the entire league during the regular season. There's a reason Carolina is this good. They are one of the few teams that's able to play this buzzsaw type of style that is so hard to generate any type of offense against. And Boston's been able to do it in spurts here and there. They're going to need A-plus efforts from everybody. They're going to need to withstand that first push. They're going to need whoever's in net, whether it be Jeremy Swayman or Linus Oldmark, to be pretty much perfect if the Bruins are going to win this game. And that's the talent gap. When you have a clear talent gap with another team, you need your superstar players and your goalie to make up that difference. In the Two games in Boston, Marshawn, man possess. Pasternak is probably the Bruins' best player. I know a lot of people would argue Bergeron. Okay, you know what? I'll amend that. Bergeron is the Bruins' best player. Pasternak is their most dynamic player. He can make things happen in a way that the mortal hockey players among the rest of the NHL cannot. They're going to need him, A-plus game. And they're going to need some bounces. They're going to have to find a way to get to some of those loose pucks and recover a few loose pucks and get from defense to offense. And they're going to need Taylor Hall to turn back the clock and be 2018 Taylor Hall for one or two odd man rushes going the other way to put pressure on the Carolina defense. Carolina is beatable. They are prone to taking penalties because they play such an aggressive style. Granted, oh, Adrian Kempe just scored an ugly one. Mike Smith, you got to have that one, bud. But yeah, Carolina takes a lot of penalties. The Bruins' power play, when it's right, is very good. It just hasn't been very right for most of this up, this past season. But there is a blueprint to beating Carolina. Boston's done it twice in the last five days. It's doable. Kitchen sink type effort. So, next up, I'll start with the Wild and Blues because that game started the next in chronological order that 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 i think was a 9:30 puck drop and very chaotic start the blue scored right out of the gate ryan o'reilly on the power play kaprizov scored two straight and then the blue scored again uh again this game's still only in the first intermission there's a lot of excuse me second intermission there's a lot of time left in this game to talk it's tied at the moment and well i'll do a little bit more on this one on tomorrow's episode after i inevitably either start talking myself into the rangers being good enough to win two straight games or bemoaning the end of the rangers season but i'll talk a little bit more in depth about the wild and blues then but my initial impressions of this series are very weird because these two teams are very similar in regards to they rely on just a handful of guys to produce most of their offense. Their high-end players on both teams are outstanding. Kirill Kaprizov, exponential growth. The way in which Kaprizov has transformed the wild in just one and a half seasons is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, 
everybody spent the last decade being very bored watching the Wild play lockdown hockey and losing all these playoff games to teams that went on to win the Stanley Cup 2-1 to one and 3-2 to two, and losing to the Blackhawks a bunch of times and losing to the Predators a bunch of times. Kaprizov has transformed that team. He's made that first line with him, Ryan Hartman, and Zuccarello one of the most dynamic in the entire league. They've still got Joel Erickson Eck, who's a very good defensive center. They've got Marcus Felito, who's still a very good defensive center. Their back end is very talented. They've got two good goalies in Cam Talbot and Mark Andre Fleury. The Wild are very well constructed, and they're going to be. I picked the Wild to win this series. I think the Wild are a better team, but for whatever reason, the style the Blues play, the Blues are very content to turn every game into a rock fight. They're going to play that grinded out style that's good in the postseason. They did beat the Wilds all three times they played in the regular season. And for the Wild to win this series, number one, they're going to need somebody other than Kaprizov to get going in one of these games. There's been flashes from Kevin Fiala, from Matt Zuccarello. They're going to need a little more from the secondary guys. It can't just be Kaprizov. Defense needs to be a little bit better in front of Marc-Andre Fleury. A lot of the Blues' chances have been those ugly ones, the net front area ones, which the Wild are kind of too talented on the back end to be giving up those ugly ones. So you're going to need to tighten up there. And the last thought on that series before I move on. It's been very back and forth. It's been... That was supposed to be the most competitive series coming into this first round. And it's lived up to the billing. I very much enjoyed that series going back and forth. There are a lot of players on both of those teams I enjoy watching. And Kaprizov might be the most enjoyable player in the sport to watch at the moment. I've always said it's McDavid, but Kaprizov... Kaprizov just be ripping it, man. I mean, both the goals he had in the first period were just missiles top corner from sharp angles. Just otherworldly finish. Such a dynamic skater, and his he's able to make offense for himself and everybody else. Just by skating, he doesn't even have to deke. He just will skate the length of the offensive zone over and over again until a play develops. Otherworldly patience, great vision, that wicked shot. One of the best players in the league, and it sounds crazy to say about somebody who has all of, you know, 150 games of NHL experience at this point in his career. Love watching Kaprizov. I'm very happy Marc-Andre Fleury is not on the Blackhawks anymore. The Blues, they've got a few guys, man. Their back end is not very good. It's very dinged up. Colton Pareko is not the guy we thought he was when the Blues went on the one that Stanley Cup. Tory Krug's been out. Most of this series, we're talking about Scandella, Bortuzzo, some older guys who are kind of high floor, low ceiling types who are just going to keep the puck moving, who are good in the postseason because they're not going to make cataclysmic mistakes, but they're not going to be able to join your rush. They're not going to be able to generate offense beyond just keeping the puck moving in the cycle. We'll see. I still think the Wild win that series, but... The Blues have played very well, and it could go either way, and the Blues winning wouldn't be a surprise. A lot of people had that series going seven games, and then whichever one you liked better was just a matter of personal. And the last series to touch base on is, of course, the LA Kings and the Oilers. And while I've been recording here, the Blues have scored twice in the third period, so it's 4-2 to two over there now in the St. Louis-Minnesota game, so... 
Minnesota is going to have to tighten up. Both those goals came in from the ugly areas. And over here in the Kings-Oilers game, the Oilers are trailing 3-1 to one now. And both of... I, the Oilers stink, man. We do this song and dance every single year. They stink, okay? It was a nice story that 39-year-old Mike Smith had a very good year in the pandemic fluky 56-game season. It was a nice story. It was a nice anecdote. That can't be your plan in 2022. Mike Smith is a 1B goalie in a tandem. He is not a starter you can lean on for 50 games. The Oilers' defense is awful. Cody Ceci, Tyson Berry, Duncan Keith, Brett Kulak, terrible. None of those guys can generate a zone exit to save their life. I, The two Euler goal, excuse me, the two King goals that have happened since it was 1-1, one happens because nobody's, for, nobody's active in the neutral zone and Adrian Kempe skates through with speed and he rips one past Mike Smith. That... Mike Smith should have saved, but come on. You, you couldn't slow down Adrian Kempe. And then the one that just happened, they, I couldn't, uh, I think it was Brett Kulak fired a pass up at Zach Hyman, who was a, a couple feet in front of the blue line trying to be open. Zach Hyman gets cleaned, like a, off his feet check to the ground. The Kings recover the rebound and score. Kings are giving the Oilers fits. When the Oilers cannot play with speed through the neutral zone, they cannot generate offense. And again, I talk about this a lot on the show in regards to hockey. If you are a rush-based offense and the other team is aggressive on you in the neutral zone and they're not letting you gain the zone with speed, you don't have a recourse because your players don't know how to play any other way. You cannot – McDavid and Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Evander Kane, those guys are not playing dump-and-chase hockey. I'm not saying dump-and-chase hockey is the most efficient way to play, but sometimes, based on what the game is giving you, you have to do that. Otherwise, you're just going to keep wasting opportunities, and you're going to have those times where you get to gain the offensive zone, you have a single scoring chance, and then the other team goes the other way. It's the most frustrating thing to do is watch that because it feels like you're watching your team die a painful death because they're not getting to any good areas of the ice to shoot from. That's the worst part of playoff hockey is watching the team you're rooting for just have no recourse for what the other team is doing defensively. It's fine if it's a track meet and you're just on the edge of your seat craving death because it's 5-4. to four. Watching your team just listlessly fire pucks to the middle that get blocked or deflected or go the other way, that feels like death because there's no way to get back to offense. That is not great. And the Oilers are almost just – and the Oilers did – oh, no, no, the goal got disallowed. Okay, it hit the net. I almost thought the Kings scored another goal because of bad transition defense, but it was disallowed. Okay, that will just about do it. Uh, last thing real quick. I do not think the Rangers are going to win tonight. I am very convinced they're going to 1-2-3 Cancun this like some of the teams we've seen in the NBA playoffs, especially in that first round. They got worked over by better teams. It wouldn't surprise me if the Rangers won, forced a game six, and then lost in Pittsburgh. I just don't think they have it, man. Unless they magically get game six of the 2017 playoffs, Mika Zibanejad. Unless they get, like, 
2016 Chicago Artemi Panarin. Uh, I don't see it, man. The Rangers' two most expensive forwards are doing basically nothing in the offensive zone, and Zabinijad's been getting gashed in the defensive zone. I want every single dumb shit who told me Mika Zabinijad was good at defense. You're wearing this. He has been dreadful matching up against Sidney Crosby. They are getting worked when Zabinijad is on the ice, and the coach has no ideas. He's not going to change the lines. They were back to the same lines as always at practice on Tuesday morning. He's not going to change his strategy because he doesn't have a strategy other than his goalie making 94% of the saves and his power play scoring 25% of the time. That's all I got for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will see you guys tomorrow. If it's a Rangers obituary, it'll be a long episode. If it's maybe the Rangers can make some magic happen, it might be a little long too. We'll see what happens. I'll see you guys then. Thank you.